Well, good morning. My name is Neil Chotai. I'm the pastor of Church Life, and we are beginning a brand new series on the book of Philippians. And we encourage you today to dive deep into this study. And um, you will probably receive, or if you haven't already, one of these things that has a QR code on it. And that'll take you to a website where we're going to have the messages online. We're going to have some studies and other resources as well. Well, before we dive into the passage that we're looking at today, I want to give you some background information on this book. Now, one of the major themes of this book is joy. Joy. The word joy and the word rejoice is found several times, many times within this short book that Paul has written. Now, joy is this little, little word that has a lot of expression. For example, my oldest nephew in Great Britain just got married a few weeks ago in England, and my wife and I couldn't go there uh, just because of the distance and everything, but we saw the pictures of them, and there was just joy on their faces, that they were now man, husband and wife, and actually later on this, uh, today, I'm going to be officiating at a, at a wedding, seeing couples come together. There's so much joy there. There's so much joy, uh, birth of a child, there's joy in friendships and relationships, uh, so much joy that can happen in a person's life. Now, when I was younger, I received a lot of joy in, that was boxed up in one of these. I loved getting gifts. I loved it. It gave me so much joy. Now, I was the youngest of three kids, and that means there was a lot of stuff in the house. So when I was around six years old, my parents got this brilliant idea that instead of Neil getting all these gifts from family and friends, he should just get money. I thought that was a great idea. What they didn't tell me was that the money was going to go to my education fund. Yeah, so that's a real joy killer. I remember many times on birthdays, just opening up the green card and literally handing the money to my mom, and it would go to the bank account. That was just so much fun. You can see the joy expressed in my face right now. Now, sometimes, sometimes, I would go to my parents and say, I really want something. I, I really want this one thing. Please can I get it. Please can I get it. And they'd think about it, and they'd be like, okay. So there was this one thing that I really wanted. So for some of you in this word, I'm going to use a couple of words that you may have not heard of. For other people, you may have heard these words. Okay, so we're going to, I'm going to teach you a couple of new words today. So this is what I wanted. This is what we call a... Walk, man. So the one I got was a knockoff. It wasn't real, you know, Sony thing. Um, and then, let me explain what a Walkman is. It's a non-digital, non-Wi-Fi enabled, non-internet device that you can listen to music. I share that with my kids. My son's like, are you serious? Is that even possible in the world that we live in? So then, the interesting thing about this Walkman is you put these things in there. These things are called cassettes. Now, I don't even know if I'm spelling this right because I haven't spelled the word cassette in a long time. You put the cassette in there and then you would listen to music. Now, I love music. And the best music in the world, I'm sure many of you would agree, second only to worship music, yes, because I'm in a church, I have to say that, is 80s music. 1980s music was the best music, bridge the 70s and bring, brought brand new genre music. And if you disagree with me, that is okay. We live in a democracy. You can choose to be wrong today. <laughs> I loved it. I loved having this Walkman. I loved it. I, yes, I even looked cool with a Walkman. 
So she gets me this Walkman, and, and it's loud. Like, I have it loud. I have it super loud. I'm a teenager. I have it loud. And I remember my own mom yelling at me and saying, turn it down. Are you deaf? And I said, what? <laughs> Didn't know what she was saying. Today, I want to speak about unspeakable joy. Now, unspeakable joy, it's, it's something that you can't put into words. It's, it's something that is it's divine. So when we look at the word joy, it comes from the Greek word kara. And it means wellspring. It means that something that comes out of us is wellspring that comes and energizes us with something that is much deeper. Because it's not based on circumstances, but it's based on something deeper, which you're going to learn about in a few moments. Now, continuing on in the background of this book, whenever we look at scripture, we need to know context. Context is very important. We need to know why was this book written? What were the words being used? How, how are we going to take this into ourselves as we read the scripture? We can't put 21st century mindset on a document that is around 2,000 plus years old. We need to be individuals that that dive deep into scripture and to understand what it means to have the right tools to, to get the right meaning because understanding the context helps us understand the scripture. Now, my family background, we're, we're actually East Indians. My grandparents, both sides were born in India and uh, then they left India, went to East Africa. My parents were born in Uganda and Kenya. I was born in Uganda. And then at the age of 18 months, we fled Uganda and we went to the United Kingdom for two years. And after that, we came to Canada. Now, when I was in elementary school, there was certain words that, that, that I had to realize what they meant because I just didn't have the context of it because coming from a different background. So one day this kid, comes to class and he, he looks really like distressed and we're like, what's wrong? And then he said, oh, I did something really bad. And he told us and we all, we all went, oh. and, then, uh, and, and, then, and then he said, yeah, I, I got punished. And we're like, oh. and then he said, I got grounded. Everybody went, oh. I didn't go because I didn't know what it meant. But then I just joined everybody, everybody went, oh. right? And I'm thinking, what does grounded mean? What does grounded mean? So you know what I thought grounded meant? I literally, literally, this is what I thought. I thought the parents dug a hole in their backyard, <laughs> put the kid in the ground for the night. And I'm thinking, you Canadian parents are barbaric. <laughs> the worst that my parents did, my mom did, was slap me across the face. Wooden spoon, wooden shoe, a sofa, a couch, anything that she had to get her hand on. And I'm thinking, somebody needs to call 911. But there was a problem. 911 wasn't back, invented back then. So you had to do zero and big rotary phone. But then I found out what grounded meant. It meant he was being punished at home and he had to stay at home and not have any fun. So I understood what that meant. Context is very important. We need to understand the meaning. And the Holy Spirit guides us as we research and we look at the context of Scripture. And the Church of Philippi was founded 11 years prior to the writing of this book by Paul. So we have to go to the book of Acts. Now, this is a, this is a story of the book of Philippi. Now, the, the book of Acts talks about how the church was formed. Really interesting. Paul is on his second missionary journey. And as he's traveling along, he receives a vision from God. In, 
has to do with a place called Macedonia, which is across the waters. And in this vision, there's a man, and he says, come and help us. Now, this is important because, because Macedonia is on a different continent. The, re the redemption story of God has been in Asia, basically Abraham leaving Mesopotamia, which is Iraq, which is Asia, going to Israel, which is Asia. Redemption story went to Egypt, which is in Africa, and it's been through Asia and Africa. This is the first time that the story of redemption of God now goes to the continent of Europe. This is huge. This is big. So Paul is obedient to the Holy Spirit, and he goes to a place called Philippi. This is a picture of what ancient Philippi, they believe, looked like. Now, when Paul was in Philippi, he goes to an area where there's this prayer meeting of people who are sympathizers of, of the Hebrew faith. He talks about Jesus, shares about Jesus. A woman named Lydia becomes a Christ follower. Her and her family believe and get baptized. Later on, they're in the marketplace, him and his ministry partner, Silas. And they're going out sharing the gospel. And this lady, who can foretell the future because she's demon-possessed, is yelling out, These men are servants of the Most High God who are telling you the way to be saved. Now, she was right, but it was causing such a commotion in their witnessing ability that Paul gets angry, gets upset at the Spirit, and turns to the Spirit and says, in the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. At that moment, the evil spirit flees her from her. And then she finds about Jesus, and she becomes a Christ follower. Now, this woman was actually a slave, and her employers didn't like what happened because she would make money by telling fortunes. So the employers then go to the city officials and say, there's a guy named Paul here, and he's causing economic strife for us. City officials come, they have him and his ministry partner Silas arrested, and they are in prison. Now, that's pretty sad, being in prison. But what do Paul and Silas do? They start praying, they sing, they share the gospel, and then what happens, there's something amazing, a divine. An earthquake takes place and the, to the foundations of the jail. And the, and the doors swing open and the shackles are off of their hands. Absolutely incredible story. And the jailer who is sleeping wakes up, realizes something divine has happened. And he finds out about Jesus and he gets saved and he becomes a Christ follower. Later on, the city officials come. They can't stand what has happened. And they say, Paul, please get out of the city. Get out of Philippi. And that is how the church of Philippi was founded. Philippians was written by, by Paul while he was in prison. And the church that he helped establish um, sends provisions to him in Rome. And they are concerned for him. How can they have joy when, when their beloved friend Paul is in prison for the gospel? So we have Paul writing this letter to the church in Philippi. And he says that he can have joy because the joy is the gospel. It's all about the gospel. And it gives him great joy. So if you have your Bibles with you, please go and open up your Bibles or your Bible app. And go to the book of Philippians chapter 1. Verses 1 to 2. And if we could stand for the reading of God's word today. Book of Philippians. A book of joy. And this is what it says. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with the overseers and deacons, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. You may be seated.
a really long verse today. So today the big idea is to have unspeakable joy, we must accept two spiritual blessings from God. Now let's look at verse 1. Let's look at some of the words that are here. Here we have person declaring who's writing this, and that's Paul. Back in the day, you actually right away said who you were. Today's day, we, after we write an email, we put sincerely Neil or whatever your name is, and then we send it. But he's declaring he is Paul. He doesn't say the apostle Paul, he could have, but he didn't because he has a really good relationship with these individuals. And they know that this is, this is, this is Paul. And Paul is the author of it. And then the name Timothy is there. Timothy is not a co-author, but Timothy is a disciple of Paul's. And he's there to understand what the ministry is all about, and he will be going around the churches as well. And Paul is writing this personal letter to his people that are there. And notice he says, calls himself servants of Christ Jesus. Now, when you hear the word servant, you may have some preconceived uh, notions of what that word means. Now, today, remember, we're looking at the context. What does Paul mean by the word servant? You know, when I was younger, I really wanted to be filthy rich. Just wanted to have a lot of money, a lot of money. I actually wanted to be an accountant. For all of you accountants in the world, I commend you because I don't know how you do it, because that's one boring book you got to read. At least my book's exciting, more exciting than yours. But, but, but I wanted to be filthy rich, and, and I would imagine this is what I would have. I would have a chauffeur, I would have a maid, I'd have a butler, and get this, you know what I would have? I'm younger and I'm thinking this, this is what I would have. I would have a house that's worth, believe it or not, one million dollars. One million dollars. Who would have known in 2022 that a million dollar home is actually a tiny three bedroom house with a one car garage on a tiny piece of parcel land size of a postage stamp? As a result, I'm not a millionaire. And as a result, I have no butler. I have no maid and I have no chauffeur. I'm actually all three of these. Anyways, <laughs> well, my wife and I are. So anyways, but, but this is what I really wanted. But that's not what it is. But remember, we have to look at context. So what does he mean by servant? So Paul, as he's writing this, he's using words that the church would probably understand. They did have somewhat of a Hebrew mindset at times. And, and the ser- word servant, it goes back to the Old Testament. It goes back to the time of Moses. And it goes back to the meaning of messenger. So these are messengers. He says we are messengers chosen by God. Chosen by God. And in this, humble full of humility. So here is Paul. He's saying, I'm this humble servant, messenger of the Lord, giving you this information in a form of servant leadership. And then he begins to address the church to everyone. Goes on to say this, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers and the deacons. So let's look at the word saint. When we look at the word saint, We need to be careful that we ensure that we're looking at the true biblical meaning of the word saint. If, for example, a saint is a person who has died and been canonized by a religious organization, such as the Roman Catholic Church, if we use that definition on this scripture or in scripture, we're doing a disservice to the scripture itself. That is not what it means. 
a saint is a person who is very much alive and not dead. The true biblical definition of saint comes from the Greek word holy. Holy, which is equivalent to the Old Testament word separate. So this is what Paul means, that these individuals are saints, that they have been separated two ways. The first way they have been separated is from evil. Evil, from the evil of the word that, that God has separated from them, taking them from the evil, go into what is good, what is righteous, what is true, what is the gospel. The second thing that they've been separated by is their witness. So here you have a group of people, they've been out there witnessing to what their life is like compared to the world that is around them. All believers are saints through their spiritual union with Christ Jesus upon salvation. Not by anything we have done, but what God has done for us. It's the gospel. It's the accepting Jesus into our lives as he calls us. It's the sacrifice on the cross. It's the resurrection. It's the Holy Spirit that lives within us. And these are the saints who are at Philippi, very much alive, who are separated from the evil world, whose God has separated from that, and they are true in their witness of who they are. These Christians stood out in the corrupt, dark world of the Roman Empire by the Holy Spirit. They're, they were easily distinguished. You knew who the Christians were back then. You knew that they were individuals that went against the immorality of the day, and they lived in the morality of God. They were the ones who shared about the hope of a living God instead of worshiping idols. Everybody knew who, were, who they were, and as a result, they faced great opposition. The next word that Paul uses is overseers. Now, overseers are basically shepherds. And they are the ones who give the spiritual oversight of the church. The next one is deacons. Deacons are leadership positions as well. These people minister practically, practical ways to the congregation, like to the poor and to the widows, to the orphans. Many believe the reason why Paul included these two these two offices or these two uh, leadership groups is because the letter would have gone to them first and then would have been shared to the rest of the congregation. So this letter to the Philippians is addressed to everybody in the church, but it's also addressed to us now in the 21st century. It was not easy living as a Christian in those days, definitely in Philippi. It was a Roman outpost. If you could not be in Rome, you wanted to be in Philippi. Philippi, military outpost, center of culture, great place to be, gateway to the European continent and to the Asian continent. This is the place that you wanted to be. The people, the people at Philippi didn't even speak Greek because that's the common language. They spoke Latin because they were better than everyone else. And here is a group of Christians, they're facing this culture that is so totally against them. This morality of the day is not the morality that God wants them to live in. That they want to witness, they want to, they want to show that the true king is not Caesar, but the true king is Jesus Christ. So they have that, all that persecution. On top of that, they're regular people just like us. They have difficulties every day as well. They have maybe relationship problems. They have money problems. They have problems with kids. They have problems with other people. They're regular individuals. So on top of that, they have all of this coming at them constantly. And God says, I want to give you joy. Now, even though they're facing all these hardships in life, just like us, 
God wants to give unspeakable joy to us. But how? Well, Paul shows us in verse 2. In verse 2, it says, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. To have unspeakable joy, first, we must receive grace from God. Now, let's look at the word grace. The word grace comes from the Greek word charis. Does this word look a little bit familiar of what we just saw a few minutes ago? This word has the same root as the word joy in the Greek. So the first word you have to understand is the word grace, because out of the word grace comes joy. That wellspring that we have, that joy that comes out, we need to understand grace. And the best way to describe this, grace in this context, is what Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians to the Corinthian church, 12, 7 to 9. This is what Paul says. He says, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan, to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. But he said, my grace is sufficient. My grace is sufficient for you. Now, we don't know what that thorn in the flesh exactly was. It's actually good because it's something personal to Paul. We have certain thorns in our flesh that are personal to us. It could be a relationship issue, it could be a physical problem, a financial issue, something. Well, whatever we have, we, we have gone to God if we're transparent. We have gone to God and said, God, please take it away from me. Please take it away from us. Please, God, please. But God responds, I know what you're going through. And I'm there to help you through it because my grace is sufficient for you. And therefore, you can have joy. Paul's desire as he's writing this to the Philippian church, as he's writing it to us, is that we enter into a fuller, fuller experience of what grace is in our daily walk. It is for daily grace to continue to live in that all-sufficient grace that comes from God. Paul is asking that it be operative in the very depths of our soul in the way we live our journey on this planet. Now, I want to make this clear. This is not receiving more grace from God. Because God, on the cross, gave all of his grace. There's not more grace than that. But he already has given us all of his grace. It's for us deciding and accepting the blessing to walk in that grace, to dig deeper in that grace, and to walk in the life of grace. That is what he is talking about. The grace that we received upon our salvation and to walk in it fully. Secondly, Paul says this. Secondly, to have unspeakable joy, we must receive peace. Paul goes on and uses the word peace and, and peace in Peace, this word peace is equivalent to the Hebrew shalom. And you've probably heard of the word shalom before. And there's a Hebrew greeting. And sometimes it happens today as well. Shalom alakim, peace to you. And the response would be alakim shalom, which would mean to you peace. The peace, it's important to have peace in our lives as much as we can because it's only the peace that can help us give us joy as well in this life. And Paul will later describe peace in, the, in this book. When we look at what Jesus said in the book of John, chapter 15, 11, Jesus is praying to the Father. And he's saying this, Father, I share these words with them so that their joy may be full. 
God wants us to experience fullness of joy in our life. And we can only experience that joy, that fullness of joy, if we have peace in our lives. In the midst of all the situations that we go through, being upset, full of grief, full of anxiety, yes, it's hard to have peace, but we need to learn to have that peace from God, a peace that this world will never understand unless they have a relationship with Jesus Christ. And again, I want to make this clear. This is not a greater peace. This is not extra peace that God gives us. Because on the cross, God gave us his peace, a reconciliation between us and him. But it's living in that peace, diving deep into our spiritual walk and living out that peace. King David said in Psalm uh, 1611, he said, in your presence, O Lord, is fullness of joy. Not a little bit of joy, but a lot of joy. It's the inner assurance and tranquility that God ministers to the hearts of every believer. And, and it gives us that spiritual confidence and contentment during the midst of all turmoil. It's a supernatural peace that comes upon our souls. And only God can give us that inner tranquility, that quietness, in the midst of a hurricane, raging storm. Paul is very clear where this comes from. And he says, from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. He's making a huge statement here for the people. He's saying, he's saying about the deity of Christ, he's saying something very important. Here he's saying these two persons of the Trinity possess the same divine essence and attributes. This verse makes it clear, an affirmation of the full deity of Jesus Christ. It places Christ as an equal with God the Father. Sits at the right hand side of the Father. He has all authority in heaven and on earth. And while Jesus is submissive to the Father, he is an equal to him. And Paul assures the early church and us that no matter what situation that we are in, we can receive all of us. Whether we are saints or whether we are in leadership, we can all receive grace and peace from the greatest source, and that is God, an unspeakable joy. Joy. For those of you who are Christ followers in this room, this is the key in living our lives out in the world that we are in. In the circumstances that come that can be like a torrential storm that come our way, we can still have joy. Because God gives us grace and peace to live out each and every day. You know, there may be those in this room or out there in life who are Christ followers. And somehow, you have lost your joy. Somehow, it, it's evaporated. Do not let the enemy, do not let Satan take away your joy. Because that is what he wants you to do. He wants to destroy you, and he will do everything that he can. Every single storm that you can think of, he would love to pounce it upon you. But do not do the devil any favors, because you who are a Christ follower are sealed in the faith. You have accepted Jesus into your life. You have accepted Jesus as he has called you into relationship with him. And the joy comes through grace and the mercy, the grace and peace that he gave on the cross for you. Do not let the devil in when he wants to take away your joy. And you tell him that you are a child of God, you're co-heirs with Jesus Christ, and the Lord is coming back. And you are sealed in him, no matter what happens. That is what we must do. We must dive deep into grace and peace in what God has given us. It is so, so important. And this letter from Paul 
comes for Christ's followers. Remember, you are saints. You are saints. And I want to make something clear here. The way that we have joy is grace and peace from God. But there is a huge prerequisite in this. You must first have grace and peace with God. I'm not changing scripture here at all, but I'm just making a point here in the statement. To have unspeakable joy, to receive those blessings, you must be a follower of Jesus Christ. That's plain and simple. That's the only way. That's the only way. God loves you, sent his son for you, to die on a cross for you, to give you eternal life in a relationship with him and the Holy Spirit that lives within you. You must have grace and peace with God, that relationship with him, to receive grace and peace from him. Grace, grace with God, accepting the love of Jesus Christ, accepting what he did on the cross for you, for for the sins that you had, he took it upon himself so we would not have to face the wrath of God, which we truly did deserve. But Jesus came and he took that away from us. Sin separates us from a relationship with God. The only way we can have a relationship with him is if there's forgiveness of sins, and that was done through Jesus Christ. Peace with God comes in the relationship with Jesus. Before we were in God, before we were Christ followers, we were enemies of God. But here comes God, and he wants to give you peace, in the peace with God. No more enemies, but friends and children of God. A relationship with him that lasts all eternity. If you're in this room right now, and you want to have a relationship with Jesus Christ, it's a decision from the heart. What you do is you ask Jesus, you ask God to forgive you of your sins so you can have a relationship with him. That you believe Jesus is the only God, that there is no other. And you commit your life to Christ. And if that is you today, and you're making that decision from your heart, in a few moments, I want to lead you in a prayer as you make that decision to become a Christ follower. It's about the gospel. The gospel is grace and peace. And that is what we must have. For the gospel gives us joy. It gives us joy. I mentioned earlier that I had this Walkman, or knockoff of it. And the last thing I remember my mom saying, are you deaf? I'm like, what? I can't hear you. But something interesting happened. What she didn't know, what I didn't know. I was in my last year of Bible college, and I had a friend. I had six months left to graduate, and like, God, what do you want me to do? Six months left. And my friend said, I think you need to go and get your hearing checked. So I actually did get my hearing checked. Went to an audiologist in Toronto. I was on internship. Six months, and I'm at the audiologist. What's going to happen here? I have this test. The audiologist comes back, and he goes, I have no idea how you're doing this, but you need hearing aids. I have no idea how you're hearing things. You have learned to read lips. And I'm thinking, what? And he says, you need hearing aids. So I go back to the place I'm staying at, close the door, and I'm weeping. I'm weeping. I'm saying, God, what, what just happened here? What is going on? All the stuff that I've been through in my life so far, I'm in my 20s, and I now need hearing aids? What is going on? 
And I was weeping and weeping. I was angry and I'm thinking, who in the world is going to hire a pastor in their 20s with hearing aids? I was single. I'm thinking, who's going to date somebody with hearing aids? Especially one who wants to be a pastor. It's bad enough. <laughs> and all the pastors in this room are saying, uh-huh. <laughs> but it's true. And I'm thinking, oh, Lord Jesus, like, what is going on? And I was angry. Yes, I was angry at God. Yes, and some people were like, you shouldn't be angry at God. You're a pastor. No, I'm a human being. I'm a child of God. And I'm angry at him. I say, God, what is going on? And I'm weeping and I'm crying and my whole life is crumbling before me. Six months, six months and I graduate, become a pastor from Bible college. That's great. But everything's ruined. And I'm weeping. And I finally look, grab my Bible reluctantly. Yeah, I'm being transparent here. Reluctantly, I grab my Bible. I open the cover. And in it is an inscription from a youth evangelist at a youth retreat who wrote down scriptures from the book of Philippians. I open it up and I'm weeping even more, but it's a different type of weeping. Talks about joy. Talks about God. God gives grace and God, how God gives peace. And that is when the joy of God really, unspeakable joy came in my life. And then I knew. You know, since then, about 10 years ago, I found out that I could have a one-time operation to get my hearing all fixed and better. But the promise was it was only last for 10 to 15 years. That time is coming up very quickly, probably in a few years. And I'll need hearing aids. But that's okay. That's okay. Because I am deciding to accept grace and peace from God to have unspeakable joy. No matter what you're going through, God wants to give you grace, wants to give you peace that comes from him. He is the ultimate source and he loves you. Today is the day to live in it. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Father, we come to you in the mighty name of Jesus and we thank you for the word of God that is so accessible to us. We thank you for this book that Paul wrote in prison, in chains as he's writing about joy. And Father, I pray for every single Christ follower in this room. Father, the one who has committed their life to you. And Father, if they are not experiencing unspeakable joy, I pray right now, Father, just minister to them in a great way. Father, let them dive deep into the grace that you have for them. Father, in the peace that you have for them. That they live in the grace and the peace that came on the day of their salvation. May they remember that day. And Father, may that propel them into living a life of unspeakable joy. Because you want to give us that. And God, I thank you for that unspeakable joy. Now for those of you in this room who are not followers of Christ yet... The Lord God is calling you to have a relationship with him even right now. God loves you. He wants, to, he wants to have a relationship with you. He wants to give you unspeakable joy in the life that we live. He wants to be with you. He gave his son, Jesus Christ, for you to die on a cross, a horrible death, to take upon your sin so that you could have eternal life and eternal relationship with him, that you could have grace, unmerited favor, unmerited, unbelievable love forever, and peace with God to be a child of God. If that is you today, as you're making that decision from your heart, pray this prayer after me, as God is calling you in relationship with him. Pray this prayer. Dear Jesus, 
I ask you to forgive me of my sins. I believe, Jesus, you are the only God. And I commit my life to you. Thank you for eternal life in a relationship with you and for the Holy Spirit who now lives within me. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.